Amen. Thank you, Stan. If our children want to head to the back for Children's Church, we have some folks back there to take you downstairs and lead you and share from God's Word with you. And while they're going out, let's pray together. Father, we are so grateful that you are always right, always good, and you don't see things the way we do. You are so much beyond our understanding. And as we look at your word this morning about how you chose David, we pray that it will drive home to us that you can use whomever you choose. And perhaps there are folks here today who feel like they're not usable. They don't think they're educated enough or experienced enough or able to talk well enough or a thousand other things. Help us to see, Lord, that you can use whomever you choose. And may we be open and available the way David was. Lord, speak to our hearts. Help us to be obedient. And may your Spirit guide us now. And uh, we pray your will, and only your will, would be done. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, let's take our Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel 16. We begin a series of messages this morning on the life of David. And we can learn a lot about not only David, but about God and about ourselves as we look at what happened in his life. The highs, the lows, there's so much that David experienced, things that we experience day by day, and we can see how God worked in his life. I used the title from that song that Stan sang. I heard that song a long time ago. We were at Buffalo, Missouri, and we had a college student from Southwest Baptist came, and he happened to sing that song. That's the first time I'd ever heard it. And every time I look at this passage, I think about that song. When others see a shepherd boy, God may see a king. And I just gave that title to Stan, and of course he found that song. I knew he would, and I knew he would sing it, and he did. Uh, Stan has got ways of finding songs. You can go back as far as you want, and he'll find that song. And uh, thank you, Stan, for singing. And what a great message. As we read 1 Samuel 16, I want you to really pay attention to some of the key things that might jump out at you. And we'll see if they're the same things that jumped out at me. Look at 1 Samuel 16. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul? seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and go. I am sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I name to you. 
So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. And the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. And Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? Then he said, There remains yet the youngest. And there he is, keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy with bright eyes and good-looking, and the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. And a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said to him, Surely a distressing spirit from God is troubling you. Let our master now command your servants who are before you to seek out a man who is a skillful player on the harp. And it shall be that he will play it with his hand when the distressing spirit from God is upon you, and you shall be well." So Saul said to his servants, Provide me now a man who can play well, and bring him to me. Then one of the servants answered and said, Look, I have seen a son of Jesse the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a mighty man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a handsome person, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me your son David, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey loaded with bread, a skin of wine, and a young goat, and sent them by his son David to Saul. So David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. Then Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Please let David stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And so it was, whenever the Spirit from God was upon Saul that David would take a harp and play it with his hand. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. Isn't that an amazing chapter? And it lays out for us how David, how it all began, that he was chosen and anointed to be the king of Israel, 
and how God worked to bring him right into the palace with the man who was still the king of Israel, reigning on the throne, Saul. And so we see in this passage that God doesn't think the way we do. He doesn't do things the way we would. And it just, it just really stands out to us the difference between the way men and women tend to think about things and the way God thinks about things. That's why we're, all, we're often so confounded by life because God is at work in ways that we don't see or understand. God doesn't choose to follow the way we would draw it up or lay it out. And we can either submit to him and day by day just walk with him and not be so frustrated about it. Or we can just, as he said to Saul of, of Tarsus, we can kick against the pricks. We can constantly be annoyed by life and the way God chooses to do what he does. In this passage, we see several things. It stood out to me. I don't know. Maybe other things stood out to you. The first, it really jumped out at me in verse 1. We must not spend our lives mourning over disappointment. Look what he says. How long? He says this to Samuel. The Lord says this to Samuel, who was a prophet. How long will you mourn for Saul? Isn't that interesting that God would say that to Samuel? How long are you going to mourn for Saul? Now, the reason he said that to him is that Saul was the king. The people, remember, of Israel wanted a king. And they chose Saul. And God relented. He, he essentially let them have what they wanted. And then eventually Saul showed himself for who he was. He didn't want to do things God's way. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. And he refused to be obedient to God. And he didn't have a heart for God to honor him, to submit to him, and to let God's will be his guide. And so eventually it came to the place where Saul was rejected by God as the king. And so here he was, kind of like a, you might call him a, a, a tremendous lame duck. He was still the king. He was still in the palace. But God didn't see him as the king anymore. God had rejected him. And now God was going to choose his own king. The king that would have his blessing. And then God was going to see to it that he would make it to the throne. It's not a good place to be in. To be rejected by God and have God working against you as we're going to see here in the life of David and the life of Saul but that's where Saul was I put a couple of scriptures in the outline first Samuel 13 14 this is when Samuel was talking to Saul after it became clear from God that he had rejected Saul as king Samuel said in 1 Samuel 13, 14, But now your kingdom, your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. 
And so the word had been brought through Samuel to Saul. Your kingdom is going to end. It has ended in God's eyes. And God is going to seek someone after his own heart. And then we find a reference in the New Testament, Acts 13, 22, looking back about David. This is what the scripture says in Acts 13, 22. And when he had removed him, meaning Saul, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. And so David, this young man, was called by God, a man after my own heart. Saul the kingdom was taken from him. And Samuel mourned. Why do you think Samuel mourned about that? Well, there was such promise with Saul. He was their first king. And they had so, so many hopes. And Samuel had invested a lot of time in him. And he mourned that Saul now had been rejected. Such disappointment. Such failure. And in chapter 16, verse 1, apparently he was still mourning over this. As if he was mourning over someone who had died. That's the word to choose. Mourning as if mourning for the dead. Now, it's not that there's anything wrong with us mourning. We should mourn. It's normal. It's natural that we mourn over great losses. And... In some ways, that grief never completely goes away. So I'm not advocating that you say to someone who's in grief, oh, you need to just get over it. You need to, you need to just forget about it. It doesn't work that way. Uh, when you experience a great loss, either the death of somebody you love, it could be the loss of a job, a loss of reputation, a loss of a relationship, you're never exactly the same again. And so you don't really get over those things, but what you can do, what God can help you and I do, we adjust to it. And God uses it to mold us and shape us to become the person he wants us to be. And we need to move on. We need to not stay focused on that. That should not become the be-all and end-all of life. God has not finished with us. Just because we've experienced a great loss, we need to see what God is going to do now and what he's going to do tomorrow. And so God is saying to Samuel here, how long are you going to mourn for Saul? And then he goes on to tell him, I have chosen for myself someone to be king. We need to remember that the disappointments, the hurts, the pain, the losses of life they're very real. They'll always be a part of us. But as long as we have life and breath, God still has something for us. And we need to move forward. We need to be focused on what God wants to do now and how he wants us to be a part of his plan and his work. And then a second thing we see in verse 1, God is at work to accomplish his purpose. Just because Saul failed, it didn't mean that God just threw his hands up and said, oh, well, I guess I'll just have to 
completely forget about my plan. No, he found somebody else. God's plan, his eternal purpose, was not going to be stopped. In fact, he was going to use the fact that Saul would no longer be king to bring to the throne the person who would be the greatest king of that time. And the king that would later provide a name for Jesus himself, the son of David. And Jesus really came in the line of David's kingship and fulfilled all of that and went beyond it to become the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so God was at work. He said there in verse 1, For I have provided myself a king among his sons. I have provided myself. In other words, this is a work I'm doing. God is at work right now. And so you may be focused on a terrible pain or loss or disappointment of the past. You may have been focused on that for years. But God is still there and he's still at work and he has something fresh and new. How long will you mourn for Saul? I will provide for myself, God said, a king, a new king, something new, something better. We need to be looking for where God is at work today and how we can join him in that great work. A third thing we see in the passage, God is not impressed with outward appearances. Now, it's not that David had a terrible appearance. I mean, it says that he was good looking. Uh, he had bright eyes. It says he had a ruddy complexion, but he wasn't as impressive a physical specimen as many of his brothers. In fact, when the first brother came before Samuel, the reaction of Samuel was, well, this has to be the one. And God specifically said to Samuel, no, he's not the one. Don't just look at the outward appearance. And God said, man makes decisions based on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. God looks at the heart. There's, a, there's an important spiritual principle there, and it would stand us all well as we go through life. What is the little axiom we have that kind of goes along with that? Don't judge a book by its cover, right? Not that people read books anymore. Or maybe some people do. But don't judge a, uh, what, do you, what, what do we want to say? Don't judge one of those little uh, Amazon reader things by a cover. The bottom line is, God is not just looking at the outward appearance of things. In fact, God is not really concerned about that. He wants to know, is this person, do they have devotion to me? Is my heart their heart? Look at Saul of Tarsus, the description we have of him, uh, you know, who became Paul. He wasn't anything to look at. And yet God used him in an amazing way. God will use whomever he chooses. Now, this doesn't mean God can't use handsome people. You, you prove that, right? God, God can use very handsome people because otherwise, where would you fall in, right? You're not laughing. You're not laughing. God can use everyone. That's the point. 
But God is not going to make that decision based on our outward appearance or our status from a worldly perspective. He's looking at our heart. Are we available to him? Do we really want to do what he wants? Do we want to honor him with our lives? Are we willing to be a servant? That's what God is looking for. And if you're willing to be a servant, committed to him, to bring honor and glory to his name, then God can use you however he chooses. And so God is not impressed with the outward appearance. You may think God can't use you because, and then there's a blank there. You could fill in that blank with an untold number of things. But a lot of those things will center on appearance and speaking ability and experience and education, the things that people tend to look at. But God is looking beyond all of that to the heart. And if you will be surrendered to God, give your life to Jesus Christ and want what he wants, God will use you in some way. He will. Because he loves you and he has a plan and purpose for your life. God uses people with a heart for him. That's what we see in verses 7 to 13. We have the account of how the sons, one by one, came before uh, Jesse and Samuel. And again and again, no, it's not him. No, it's not him. And then finally, they'd, all but David had come before him. And Samuel said, Don't, do you have anybody else? Is this, is this everybody? There has to be someone else. He knew there had to be someone else because God sent him there and said, there's a king. There's a king among the sons of Jesse. And so Samuel knew there had to be another one. And Jesse, his own father, David's own father said, well, we've got the shepherd boy. But surely it's not him. I mean, that's what he was thinking. He didn't even call him. He didn't even call him to come and stand before Samuel. David was out there faithfully tending the sheep. And Samuel said, well, you need to call him. We're not leaving until you do. And when he came, it's him. When others just saw this shepherd boy, God saw the king. So remember that in your life and in the lives of those that you interact with. You may look at someone and think, well, what could God do with them? Or you may not even think of them in relation to anything God could do. But God is going to use them in a wonderful way. Maybe not to be a king, but to serve him. We need to remember that God sees things very, very differently. David Jeremiah said, when the Lord describes David in Psalm 89, 20, he calls him David, my servant. God looks for leaders who put others' needs above their own, no matter their station in life. Leaders in the secular world want to know how many people are serving them. But leaders in the kingdom of God want to know how many people they are serving. David had a servant heart. And when God called him, to be the king, he was serving at that very moment. He was tending the sheep, a thankless job, a lonely job. But he was doing it faithfully. And then God called him to another task. 
because God knew he would do it faithfully. And then finally we see in the rest of this chapter, verse 13 to 23, God has infinite power to accomplish his will. So here he calls this shepherd boy to be the king. The problem is there's still a king in Israel on the throne. Saul, and he had an army. So how in the world is this little shepherd boy going to get from the field tending the sheep? How is he going to get from there to the palace? Is he just going to walk up there and say, Okay, Saul, I'm the king now. God wants me to be the king. You're going to have to leave. That wasn't going to work. But that didn't stop God. God has ways that we can never even think of to bring about his purpose and his will. And so when we begin to think, Well, I, I really believe God is doing this, but I don't see how it can possibly be done. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense on paper. It doesn't make any sense to my mind. There's no way it's going to happen. Yes, it can happen. Look what God did here. You have the great exchange, the great contrast. In verse 13, it says, The Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. And the contrast in verse 14, but the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. The Spirit of the Lord came upon David, but God caused at the same time the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. Now, don't misunderstand this. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit is spoken of as coming upon people to empower them for a particular task or work. And the Spirit would sometimes depart from people if that's what God desired. That doesn't happen now in the sense of the Holy Spirit. When you receive Christ as your Savior, since the cross, the resurrection, and the day of Pentecost, now when you receive Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells you forever, once and for all. So you don't have to say, Lord, don't take your Spirit away from me. If you're a Christian, the Spirit of God will always be within you. Now, what we do need to do is say, Lord, today, fill me with your spirit, meaning every aspect of my life, I want to yield to your spirit. I want to be under your control. The Holy Spirit lives within you, indwells you, but that doesn't mean the Holy Spirit is in complete control of all aspects of your life. You have to surrender to his will and to his purpose. But here in the Old Testament, the Spirit was working in a different way. He would come upon people to empower people for a given task and purpose. And if God so chose, then he would withdraw his Spirit, which he did from Saul. And then it says, and a distressing spirit from the Lord troubled him. Some translations use the word evil spirit. It was a spirit that God caused to trouble Saul. To make him despondent, discouraged. We don't know all that it caused. It caused him to feel terrible. But what was God doing? He was opening the door for David to walk right into that palace. Because one of uh, the advisors to Saul said, You need someone who can play music for you, King Saul, to help you feel better. Did you know music helps you feel better? It can if you're listening to, the, to uplifting music. I guess it can also make you feel down. But 
in this case, they said, you know, we just happened to know somebody who could play for you. God worked it all out, didn't he? One of the advisors, verse 18, one of the servants said, look, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who's really good. He's really skilled at playing. Why don't I call for him for you? And he just happened to be David. And so God worked it out so that the shepherd boy moved from the field to the palace. And there he was able to not only help Saul, but I'm sure God used that time for David to see what the king of Israel had to deal with. God used that time as a time to train him and to prepare him for what he was going to have to do. He saw all the mistakes that Saul made too. God was getting David ready to assume the throne even as he was ushering Saul off the throne. Isn't it amazing how God has the power to do whatever he chooses? This is just one example. Don't ever think that God can't accomplish what he wants to do. He can do it in your life. He can do it through your life or in the life of others. He has infinite power and everything and everyone is at his disposal. Everything. He hasn't run out of money. He hasn't run out of people. He hasn't run out of things in this world. God can use everyone. He can even use people who hate him. He can use Evil spirits. God can use whatever he chooses to to accomplish his will. Now, he's never evil. He never does anything that is not good. But he can use all things to bring about his purpose and his will for your life and for his kingdom. And so the passage ends by saying, So David came to Saul, verse 21, and stood before him, and he loved him greatly. David even won the heart of Saul. He loved him, and he became his armor-bearer. So he was right there with him all the time. And whenever Saul would be troubled by this distressing spirit, he would play the harp, and Saul would feel better. Then Saul would become refreshed and well, it says, and the distressing spirit would depart from him. When others see a shepherd boy, God may see a king. Let's sum up what we see in young David. He who is faithful in a little will be faithful in much. David was faithful as a shepherd. And of course, he became the great type, the forerunner to the Son of God, Jesus himself, who came to be the great shepherd, didn't he? The great shepherd of the sheep. And so just as David was a shepherd, so Jesus is the great shepherd who loves us. And David would become the one who would save Israel to become the king of Israel. Jesus, of course, became not only the great shepherd, but the savior of the world. All who trust in him and believe in him become sheep in his pasture. He loves us and gave himself for us. We need to see things God's way. There comes a time to move on 
from mourning over loss. The loss is still there. It's still a part of us. But it doesn't have to define who we are. It doesn't have to define our life. We can move on from that to what God is doing now. Not looking at the appearance of things, but seeing things through God's eyes. And the Holy Spirit who lives within you as a Christian will help you to see things the way God does. And we need to be obedient. David was obedient. And God used him. And we need to be obedient. And David lived in the power of God's Spirit. The Spirit came upon David. And he followed the leadership of God. And so should we. And so as you look at this passage, I hope that you see not only the difference between the way God sees things and the way we do, but I hope you see yourself in this story. And you see how God can use you. You may be that shepherd boy that God wants to use in some amazing way. Be faithful to do what God sets before you today. Be faithful to Him. Have a heart for Him. And you never know what God is going to have for you tomorrow. And that whatever His will is, He can accomplish it. Will you pray with me? We thank you, Lord, for how you called David and what you did in his life and through him. David wasn't a perfect person, as we're going to see very clearly. But he was a man after your heart. Lord, we're not perfect either. Not by a long stretch. But Lord, we thank you for your mercy and your forgiveness. And help us to have the great desire to be men and women, boys and girls, after your own heart. To want to honor you and love you and serve you. Whatever way you call us to do. So, Lord, we pray in this time of invitation now that you would lead us and help us to submit to your will. You may have a decision you want us to make this morning, a public decision to give our life to you, to receive Christ as Savior, or to publicly tell others that I have given my life to Christ. I want to follow him in baptism. Someone may need a church home and you're leading them to this church. We want your will to be done. You lead us and help us now to be obedient in this moment. For the name of Christ, may it be honored and glorified in this time. Amen.